Thank you, Ira. That is always a wonderful treat to have you come and play for us. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to be back up here preaching to you. We had an opportunity to do this a lot more when we were in that transitionary transition period. I'm very grateful that Grady is here doing this most of the time now. But it's also good to get up here and be able to, to talk to you and, and to have this opportunity. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Grady, for that. Um, well, we are in the midst of John chapter 7. And if you'll recall, Grady took us through John uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 36 last week. And we are, we are looking at a time of Jesus' life when he is at the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and, and what we saw last week was Jesus was at the feast, he's teaching, um, he, he's, people are amazed by his teaching, but everyone so far has rejected his teaching at this point. So this feast, which would have been a, a very celebratory time, Jesus has just been faced with rejection after rejection, and actually, we saw last week, the Pharisees have actually sent guards to arrest Jesus. So there's a lot of anger that comes from Jesus and his teaching. So today we're going to finish John chapter 7, and John chapter 7, the part that we're going to be going over today, verses 37 to 52, is the last day of the Feast of Booths. And what we're going to see, Jesus' response in this last day, from all the people that have been rejecting him throughout the week, his, his response is not to condemn them, but it's to give them an invitation. And so today we're going to look at that invitation. We're going to look at the people's response to that invitation. Um, so if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read John chapter 7. Verses 37 to 52. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Lord, we ask that you would... Help us to understand your word today. I pray that you would use me today um, to bring some understanding and some clarity to this, Father, and that you would change our hearts as a result of this. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. So what we're going to look at today, a little roadmap for you. We're going to look at Jesus' invitation, which we see in verse 37. We're going to look at the result of receiving Jesus' invitation, which we see in verses 38 and 39. And then we're going to look at the, people, the people's response to Jesus' invitation. So those are the three things we're going to be looking at today. And, and the first thing I want you to notice about Jesus' invitation um, is he gives this invitation on the last day of the feast, the great day, which says in verse 37 there. Now, the first being referred to, as I already said, is the Feast of Booze. Um, as recorded in Leviticus ch chapter 23, verses 33 to 43, God commanded the Israelites to celebrate this feast. 
The purpose of the feast was to remember how God brought the Israelites out of slavery, guided them through the desert, provided for them in the desert, and brought their forefathers into the promised land. So that's what they're celebrating, a very celebratory time. They're they're remembering salvation past, and they're looking forward to salvation in the future. So that's what what they're doing here. It's called the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles, Because while the Israelites wandered through the desert, they lived in these tent-like structures that were called booths. That's what they called them, or tabernacles. Three-sided thing, a thatched roof. The roof was supposed to be thatched so that they could see the stars and remember. And even today, right now, present day, the Israelites, the Jews, still celebrate the Feast of Booths. And they will go out and they will build these little booths and they will live in them for the whole week. So that's why it's called the Feast of Booths, to bring this memory of God's provision, even though they were living in, in such small things. So as part of the Feast of Booze, there occurred what was called a libation ceremony. Now, the word libation, it means an act of pouring a liquid as a sacrifice. So what would happen is the priests, during each day, they would go to the Pool of Siloam, they would go down there, they would take big pitchers, and they would fill these pitchers with water. And then they would walk from the Pool of Siloam back up to the altar, back to the temple. And it was a pretty long walk. And the the purpose of the long walk was so that the Israelites would remember the journey through the desert and how long that was. And as they journeyed, as the priests are carrying all this water, they're journeying to the temple, to the altar, the people are singing Psalms 113 to 118. So they would sing this. It was a celebration as they go, a wonderful time. And once the priests would get to the altar, they would come and they would pour the water out on the altar. So the picture to have in your mind is lots of water, being poured out over the altar. Um, And and the water would run down over the altar. It would run down the steps leading up to the altar. And it would run down to the people as they were watching. And the water depicts two things. First, it's a remembrance of God's provision of water in the desert that satisfied the physical thirst of the Israelites. So that's the first thing the water represents. And then second, it's a prophetic symbol of the salvation that is to come through the Messiah, that will satisfy the thirsty souls of the world. So those are the two things the Israelites are celebrating. And remember, the past provision and the future salvation that is to come. And it's believed the Israelites were remembering the prophecy. They're celebrating the prophecy in Isaiah 12, uh, verses 1 through 4. And Isaiah 12, 1 through 4 says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. So that's what they're celebrating with this libation ceremony that's happening every day, okay? And it's at the conclusion of this feast. So we're at the last day. So this is what we're studying today. On the last day of this feast, Jesus stands up. This is when he cries out. So remember, the people are celebrating the salvation to come. And Jesus cries out. There would have been thousands of people here celebrating this. And in verse 37, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So remember, all the people would have been seeing this water day after day pour down over the altar. They're all remembering the salvation from the past, and they're all remembering that the Messiah is coming. And they're seeing this beautiful picture of the water pour down to them, and Jesus in that moment stands up and cries. We don't know the exact moment, but but the 
But the, common, com, the commentaries, all that type of stuff, believe that Jesus would have stood up in that moment and cried out. This word cry out, it means he, he yelled out, right? So there's a celebration going on, and Jesus raises his voice above all the commotion that's going on, and he gives this invitation. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And this invitation, of course, extends thousands of years to us today. Um, and so as we saw in John chapter 6, Jesus is using things of the physical world to convey a spiritual truth, okay? And so we need the Lord to help us to understand this. So let's break down this invitation. Let's look at it. It really can be broken down into three parts um, that Jesus has. We're going to look at if anyone thirsts, it's the first part, let him come to me, the second part, and drink. So let's look at this invitation. So the first part, if anyone thirsts, and this word that we interpret thirst, um, it can literally mean to suffer thirst, so a physical thirst, your body needing water, That's the first thing it can mean. But it is also used figuratively. Those who are said to thirst who painfully feel their want of and eagerly long for those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. So Jesus is saying if anyone thirsts, right? So he's not only talking about a physical thirst. He's talking about a thirsty soul. He's talking about those who recognize that there is a thirst within them and they are longing for something to fill that part of their soul. That's who Jesus is giving this, uh, this invitation to. We've all experienced physical thirst, right? We all know that. You've played sports or you've worked out in the yard. My brothers and I, when we were younger, we used to work for local farmers and we'd go out and bale hay in the summertime. And it was a really hard job. And you'd be out there loading a wagon, dust swirling, you're breathing it all in. Man, during that time, my body longed for water, right? There was a thirst within me. I suffered from that thirst, and I wanted water. Well, it's the same thing with our souls. I mean, how you guys can all recognize that, right? How many of you have ever longed for something? How many of you have, have ever had that ache in your soul that things just aren't as they should be? I mean, we experience that a lot with death, right? When death happens, there's a longing. There's an aching in our souls that things be set right, that things be made right. So we understand that there's a physical thirst and there's also a a thirst in our souls and in our spirits. Our inner selves need refreshment and support. Well, where does this thirst come from? Well, we were created to be in relationship with God and to glorify Him. He is the only one worthy of our faith. He's the only one that will not disappoint our hopes. And He's the only one that loves us unconditionally. However, sin has brought separation between us and God. Uh, As a result, our souls are no longer drinking from the eternal waters of God, but from the temporal streams of this world. Now we put our faith in things besides God, right? We put our hope in things besides God. We seek love from people and things beside God. These temporal waters never quench our eternal thirst. They always leave us thirsty and wanting wanting more. We are disconnected from God, who is the only one that can satisfy that eternal thirst within our souls. So Jesus' invitation is for anyone that thirsts. So it's for anyone who realizes that this world cannot satisfy that deep longing in our souls. It's for anyone who looks around this world, who has tried the things of this world, and who says, man, I still have this longing within me. There's still something missing. There's still something that I need. Jesus invites you to come to him, right? That's his invitation. It's to anyone. It's for all of us. And so Jesus says the second part of this invitation is let him come to me. 
So after addressing his invitation to all people, Jesus then gives the invitation to come to him. We are to bring the thirst of our souls to Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus' Jesus's invitation implies that we could seek to satisfy the thirst of our souls in other ways. And we've all done this. We've all taken our thirst to something besides Jesus Christ. That's what sin is. Think about the last time you had a bad day. Did you run home and immediately dive into prayer and scripture to remember the faithfulness of God and to be restored and refreshed in that manner? Did, did you call your friend immediately and say, hey, would you, would you remind me of God's love for me? I don't think I did that the last time I had a bad day. Or did you, perhaps, the last time you had a rough day at work, on your way home from work, stop in Five Guys, get yourself a big old fat burger, go home and sit on the couch and binge watch some Netflix to forget your long day, right? That's, that's a lot of times what we do. That's an example of turning to something beside the stream of Jesus Christ to try and feel better about your day. Megan and I have been stuck on Five Guys lately. That's been our, that's been our guilty pleasure, I guess. But maybe you turn to other things, right? Maybe you, maybe you turn to exercise to blow off that scene. Maybe you turn to pornography. Maybe you turn to service or religion. Maybe you turn to control. The point is we try and satisfy the thirst of our souls by drinking from many wells besides Jesus Christ. We have to come to Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can ultimately satisfy the thirst of our souls. It might feel good to eat or drink your cares away. It might feel good to escape in that moment. But the thing about drinking from a well other than Jesus Christ is that your thirst always returns. If you turn to getting high from alcohol, you'll always come back down. If you turn to food for that comfort, you'll always get hungry again. If you turn to binge watch Netflix, that show always ends. The things of this earth always come to an end and they always leave us hungry for more and more. We must turn to the one eternal source in order to satisfy our souls. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well. We studied this back in John chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus told the woman at the well, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Come to Jesus. He is the only one to offer eternal water. And then the third part of Jesus' invitation and drink. That's the last part of his invitation. All you or anyone who thirsts, come to me and drink. Okay, so, so it's not enough to recognize your thirst. It's not even enough to, if you then recognize your thirst, it's not enough simply to come to Jesus Christ. We must drink him in. We must believe in Jesus Christ. And I think the best way to explain this is through contrasting examples from Scripture. Okay, do you guys remember the story of the rich young ruler? You guys remember that? It's a pretty popular one that we talk about. We've all heard before, right? But, but just briefly, he was wealthy, but he knew something was missing. His wealth didn't ultimately satisfy him. He recognized his thirst. He came to Jesus, and he wanted to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus invited the young man to give up his possessions and follow him. But the rich young ruler couldn't do it. The rich young ruler believed that his wealth could better satisfy the thirst of his soul than a life-serving Jesus could. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, but he did not drink of Jesus. He would not put his faith in Jesus. His faith remained in his possessions. His hope was in his money. He thought that he could buy more love than God would freely give him. 
So we see the rich young ruler. He knew he was thirsty. He came to Jesus, but he refused to drink. Now compare that with the parable. Let me find my spot. Compare that with the parable uh, of the hidden treasure. You guys remember this one? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, here it is. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So this man, unlike the rich young ruler, drinks of Jesus Christ. He thirsts, he comes to Jesus, and he gives all that he has in order to obtain the eternal life that is in Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Okay, The rich young ruler came, but he didn't drink. The man in, in the parable of the hidden treasure, he finds that treasure. He comes to Jesus, and then he gives all that he has to obtain that treasure. He drinks of Jesus Christ. He takes him in. Okay? Let me turn this over because I keep looking at that page instead of the other one. So, so based on the love that God has for us, put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. When we drink Jesus in, our souls are reconciled to God. God is the eternal water that eternally satisfies the eternal thirst of our souls. He's the only one that can. So that's the invitation that we see from Jesus, okay? And then Jesus tells us there's a result, okay? There, there's something that happens when we receive the invitation of Jesus Christ, and that's in verses 38 and 39. So Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given. Jesus was not yet glorified. So, so Jesus says that whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow streams of living water. Again, Jesus is using figurative language that we must interpret spiritually. And John helps us with this. In verse 39, John specifically says he makes clear that Jesus is teaching that rivers of living water will flow from our hearts once we receive the Holy Spirit. So it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that will cause streams of living water to flow from our hearts. Now understand this is a prophetic statement of Jesus Christ. When Jesus gave this invitation, when he gave this promise, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. It was going to be given. Of course, we know that Jesus is talking about the day of Pentecost, right? Uh, in, in John chapter 16, verse 7, which we'll study once we get there, maybe in a couple years, right, Grady? <laughs> we, we will get there. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for, I do, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So he's prophesying. He's prophesying about the day of Pentecost. And you guys remember the day of Pentecost, right? That was the day that Jesus has been ascended to the Father. He's been glorified. He's sitting at the Father's right hand. And he sends the Holy Spirit to the early church that was waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit falls on that early church. And what happens? The, the men are filled with faith. They're filled with that Holy Spirit. And they go out and they preach the word of God. They take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They have incredible faith that God is going to work and move. Miracles happen. People come to faith in Jesus Christ. Thousands upon thousands are saved by that work. What's happening, what we see and recorded in the book of Acts, is that is the first time that the streams of living water are flowing out of the hearts of those who believe in Jesus Christ. And those streams of living water are flowing out into the world and more and more people are drinking from those streams. That's exactly what you guys get to do in Haiti. You 
are believers in Jesus Christ. You, all of us here, all of, even if we're not going to Haiti, we all have the Holy Spirit within us if you believe in Jesus Christ. Streams of living water are flowing out of you. When you guys go to Haiti, you're going to be taking those streams there. You're going to be offering eternal water to people with thirsty souls. And this is a wonderful privilege that you get to be a part of, and we are so excited that you're going and, and, and that we get to support you in that. It's the same mission we have today that, we had, that the apostles had back when, on the day of Pentecost. But before we can receive the Holy Spirit, we must believe in Jesus. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will receive the Holy Spirit. So the precondition to receiving the Holy Spirit is believing in Jesus. And we've already recovered what it means to believe in Jesus. Bring your thirst to Jesus Christ and drink. And very briefly, but in case there is no one here who has received the gospel before, this is what it is. All have sinned and offended the one true righteous and holy God. In his perfect justice, our sin must be punished by death. Our sin separates us from God. However, in his perfect love, God sacrificed his own son, Jesus Christ, to pay that penalty for us. God desires to bring us back into relationship with him, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ alone that we are reconciled to God. Believe in Jesus Christ. So if you are that, a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And, and we've, we talk about the streams of living water flowing out of us. Another term we use in the church, what we see in Scripture, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. These are, in my mind, one and the same thing. And as I've studied the New Testament, I think what this means, best I can tell, the hallmark of being filled with the Holy Spirit is an unwavering faith in God and His promises, which results in joyful submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, no matter the consequences. This is exactly what we saw in the early church. Being filled with the Holy Spirit gives you an unwavering faith in the fact that you belong to God. Romans 8 is one of the most beautiful chapters in Scripture. And Romans 8 is all about living life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 is chock full of the promises that we belong to God and nothing can separate us from the love of God. So, so if you're wondering what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit, that's it. You have an unwavering, wonderful faith in the promises of God that you belong to God, that you are loved by God, and you are submitted to His glory. You're submitted to His purposes, no matter the consequences, whatever He calls you to do, whatever that looks like, whatever He chooses to do through you, that's being submitted to, to God. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the spring from which the streams of living water flow. Now think about a stream, right? It flows. Megan and I were recently in Asheville, North Carolina. We went up there for a, for a weekend, and we got to go do some hiking, and we were sitting up on this little waterfall, and I was so impacted by the way the stream just, it just keeps going and going and going. It never stops, and it flows out, right? That's what a stream does. It flows out. It goes out. When we drink Jesus in, we are restored to relationship with God. This stream satisfies our thirst and fills our hearts to overflowing. Once you have become satisfied in Jesus Christ, you will want others to know of this satisfaction. It flows out of you to others. That's what the Great Commission is. It's not some dutiful religious requirement that we must make ourselves go share Jesus Christ. The Great Commission is simply being satisfied. It's drinking Jesus Christ in continually. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that place of satisfaction, from that place of overflowing, 
we want to tell others who are thirsty about the wonderful work God has done in our own hearts. We share the gospel. We share Jesus Christ with others as a result of our satisfaction. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, proclaiming this message of reconciliation throughout the world, telling those who are thirsty about the eternal water that has satisfied us. And for those of you who believe in Jesus Christ, I've got to ask, are streams of living water flowing out of you? Or have you become more like a stagnant pool? And we get there at times, right? We have those times where it just seems like there's just no satisfaction there. And the answer is not to try harder. The answer is not to make yourself go share the gospel. The answer is to drink of Jesus Christ. It's to get with your Savior. It's to enjoy the benefits of being in relationship with God, of digging in His Word, of being in Christian community, of spending time in prayer and worship. That's where you get those streams of living water to flow. That's what comes into us and it satisfies our thirst. And from that place of great joy, we share this this relationship we have with God with others. So that's, that's the, the, the result of receiving Jesus' invitation. And now let's look briefly at what the people in attendance on this last day of the Feast of Booze did with this invitation. The people's response is, is marked in, in verses 40 to 52, and we've already read that. I'm not going to reread that whole thing. But as we read that, you guys saw there's a mixed response among the people. Um, in, in verse 43, it says, So there was a division among the people over him. And that's what Jesus does, isn't it? He came to divide. Right? Jesus always gets a reaction. Okay? Jesus is saying he is the only way to know God. He's the only way to truly live your life. That, that should cause a reaction in you. It did in the people that were there. Uh, right? Some believed. We see that. Uh, some believed that he was the Messiah. So on this last day with this invitation, some people actually believed, Scripture tells us. But still others doubted. Um, They doubted that Jesus was the Messiah, and it's kind of a strange reason they're doubting. They're saying, um, wasn't the Messiah supposed to come from the line of David from the city of Bethlehem? So it seems there's almost a willful ignorance here, because the fact that Jesus was in fact born in Bethlehem, and both Joseph and Mary were from the line of David, they they both were able to trace their line back to David, and those records would have been kept by the Pharisees. That birth record would have been there. So there seems to be a willful ignorance um, of those who are doubting. Uh, and then all others, the Pharisees, wanted Jesus arrested. They were angry still. Remember the officers that had been dispatched to arrest Jesus in John 7:32. Here's another reaction. These were temple police. They were tasked with keeping order in the temple precincts. And they've been listening to Jesus talk. And they simply can't arrest him. Right? They're so taken by his message, by the authority of his word, that they say, I'm not arresting that guy. No, no way. I can't do it. We've never heard anything like this. And so they refuse to arrest him. They come back, they report that to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, here's another reaction, another response, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees arrogantly berate the officers and the people who believe in Jesus. Look at verses 47 to 49. Here's what, uh, once once the temple police come back, here's what the Pharisees say to them. Uh, The Pharisees answer them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So this is is pretty amazing. I kind of want us to see this um, for a second here. So so the Pharisees, they point to the fact that none of of the Pharisees have believed in Jesus, 
And therefore, they conclude, Jesus must not be the Messiah. So so they're saying, we don't believe in him, therefore, he must not be the Messiah. And then they belittle those who believe in him. And specifically, the Pharisees point to the fact that this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So the Pharisees, are, are, they have so much confidence in their knowledge of the law. They think that they know the law so well that there's no way this Jesus could be the Messiah. And what's so shocking to me is that what Jesus came to fulfill the law, right? He didn't come to destroy it. He didn't come to put it aside. He came to fulfill the law. He is the embodiment of the law. And he's right there amongst them. And these Pharisees who have devoted their whole lives to the study of the law can't recognize God himself who gave the law. God himself is right there. And they can't recognize it. And this is a a good warning for us, church, that we need to be very careful that we are drinking of Jesus Christ and not simply drinking of religion. We need a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, not a relationship with a church. Okay? That's very important that we know. These Pharisees devoted their lives to the law and they missed God right there among them. The last one, the last response I want us to see is, is our old friend Nicodemus. Nicodemus is here. He shows up again. We first saw him in John chapter 3. You remember the famous discussion he had with Jesus. He went to Jesus at night. Remember that? And he's asking Jesus all these questions. And Jesus gives this famous conversation where we get the most famous scripture verse in all of, of the world, John three sixteen. And, and Nicodemus, it seems, uh, it, it appears he's not yet drunk of Jesus Christ, right? He, he, we can assume he was thirsty because he went to Jesus. And he actually, he actually goes to Jesus. But I don't think Nicodemus is actually uh, drunk of Jesus at this point. Um, And and I say that because Scripture specifically notes Nicodemus is still one of them, one of the Pharisees. He doesn't correct the Pharisees in their assertion that none of the Pharisees have believed in Jesus, right? Nicodemus just sits back. The Pharisees specifically said, none of us believe in him. And Nicodemus, yeah, okay, I'm not going to correct that one. Um, And instead of of, of proclaiming his faith in Jesus, if it was there, he, he does try to help Jesus but he does it, and as a lawyer, I love this. Nicodemus, he falls back on due process. Okay? He says, well, wait a minute. We can't just arrest this guy. We've got to give him a day in court. We've got to let him present his case. We've got to hear him out. We've got to let him put on evidence. We've got to call witnesses. So Nicodemus kind of does this half measure where he's saying, hey, we need to give this guy a day in court. But it's still kind of cowardly because if he does actually believe in Jesus, he's still not proclaiming his faith in Jesus. So, so either way, Nicodemus, either he believes and he's afraid to suffer the consequences of that belief and and to stand up and say he believes or he just doesn't believe yet at this point. But there's hope for Nicodemus yet. We see him one more time in the book of John. And Nicodemus to me seems to be a picture of the one who was thirsty, who came to Jesus, but had not yet drunk Jesus in. He knew the truth, but it appears that he did not yet believe the truth. And so in, in closing, the question, of course, for all of us is what is your response to Jesus's invitation? The streams of living water we've been discussing today have flowed to you. It's available to you. The water being offered to you today, you can come and drink from. Are you thirsty? Have you found anything in this earth that satisfies your soul? Or do you always come up thirsty again? 
It's because you were created to be in relationship with God. That's why. You were created to need God himself. Drink of Jesus Christ. He's the only way to that. To those of you who believe in Jesus Christ, are you thirsty today? Is there a longing in your soul? I encourage you to walk out repentance. Those those things that come, those thirsts that come, man, a lot of stuff in life happens that causes thirst in our souls, and and we believe the lie that we can get satisfaction, that we can get filled up at a place other than Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you who believe in Jesus Christ to repent, to return to the stream that is Jesus, and drink of that eternal water again. This, this idea of drinking that Jesus invites us to is continual. It's not one little sip and then you're good forever. It's a continual drinking, a guzzling of Jesus Christ of that water. Return to him today. So if the band would come, they're going to play one last song. And what I want you guys to do is, as, this, as the band is playing is just take this few minutes to pray. And I'll be right up here if you want to pray. I, don't, I won't have any advice for you, but I will drink with you, right? So come if you need this time to pray, if you need this time to cry out to God. I'm here to come alongside you and cry out to our good Father for His grace and His mercy.